Hey everybody, welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries and from the Harvest Church International. I am so glad that you have decided to join me today. I'm really excited about this topic that we're going to be talking about today um, in regards to our series we are in, Who is the Holy Spirit? This is actually part 10 in this series on Who is the Holy Spirit? We just covered spiritual gifts, part one, two, three, and four, actually four sermons and teachings on the different spiritual gifts. And now we're going to step into another amazing, wonderful, awesome aspect of the Holy Spirit that he gifts us with, that he gives to us. And this happens at the moment of our conversion. And this is a, this is a powerful topic uh, there, it is so deep. There's so much to it. So I want to tell you right off, I don't want to rush through uh, this particular topic. So I'm going to be breaking it down over several sermons to make sure that we don't get so much information at one time that we're not grasping it properly. Okay. So this is uh, the title of our sermon today is the fruit of the spirit. And this will be part one. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be reading in verses 16 through 24. Galatians 5, 16 through 24, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, when we go over this uh, and we actually hit the fruit and we got, start going through what each one means, I'll probably get through, as I put my sermon together, I got through two of them for today. But it, it's very encouraging it's very uplifting, but it's very convicting because when we really look at these different f aspects of the fruit, um, it's it really should cause us to look at our lives and ask myself, am I walking in each one of these? Because these come as a package deal. And like I'm going to say later on in the sermon, we don't pick and choose these, okay? Um, these are in us and we operate in all of these all the time. And uh, we may not look like it, but uh, we need to be. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, I want to read, our main verses are in 22 and 23, but I want to read, put this in context, uh, starting in verse 16, so you can see what Paul's dealing with here before he actually gets to these two verses on the fruit of the Spirit. He's going to be talking about some of the things of the flesh, all right? So Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Do you have it? You ready? You got your word? You got your word out? You ready? To, here we go. Galatians 5, 16 through 24 says, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Someone ever comes in for counseling, and they're wondering, you know, how do I live my life effectively? There you go. Walk by the Spirit, and we not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's your counseling session for the, for the day. Live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. That way you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh sets itself against the spirit. There's a battle going on here, right? And the spirit against the flesh. There's a war happening here within us. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of of the flesh are evident. Look at the deeds of the flesh here. He lists some things. They are, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. He's talking about sexual immorality. 
impurity, same thing, along that line, sensuality. These are all the stuff that's happened in our nation today. These are agendas that are being pushed. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Ooh, don't be looking at horoscopes. Enmities, and hatred against other people. Strife, man, strife's a big one. Jealousy, outbursts of anger. Disputes, fighting amongst each other. Dissensions, even in the body of Christ. Factions, envying, drunkenness. Hey, Brad, can I drink as a Christian? I mean, I'm not going to judge you on what you do or don't, but the Bible says your drunkenness is uh, a deed of the flesh. Drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, he says, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, if this is your, when he says who practice such things, if this is your lifestyle, if this is how you live your life, you're probably marked as someone who's not truly saved. Then in verse 22, he starts it off with the word but. So this is a contrast word here. He just talked about the deeds of the flesh, and he's going to change here. He says, but... The fruit of the Spirit, look at these, is love. Now notice the fruit of the Spirit, but not the fruits. These nine things make up one fruit. These are in all nine attitudes or aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And instead of living in your flesh and its passions and desires, you're living by the fruit of the Spirit. So let me say this right off. The reason this can be convicting to all of us, even as men and women of God, is that this fruit came into our lives at the moment that we were converted. Holy Spirit brought this fruit with us. So this fruit is in us. So the ability to live our lives as a man or woman of God in joy, in love, in patience, in peace, in kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, self-control is there. That power and that ability is there. We just have to make sure that we have no excuse, so to speak. We just need to tap into it. Because we are not who we used to be. This is who we are. So again, it says the fruit, not the fruits. So these are all aspects of one of the fruit of the Spirit carries within it these nine particular aspects. Again, what's being contrasted here that we read? Uh, There's these two powers at work in the mortal body of every believer. Paul said this in Galatians 5.17 about that. He said the flesh... That in the Greek is in the present tense. So in other words, he's saying the flesh continually sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And that's a capital S there uh, for spirit. For they are in opposition, present tense again, or continually in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. In other words, there's a war there of your flesh trying to get you to do things that are not pleasing to God. So you want to do what's right 
but your flesh is fighting you and wanting you to do what's wrong. That's going on always. The Apostle Paul dealt with it, and we deal with it. Somebody say, amen, I've dealt with it. And some of you may be dealing with it today. So we got these two contrasting powers. One is natural, the other is supernatural. And they bear two kinds of fruit. Uh, the one natural fruit, which is the sins of the flesh, and the other supernatural, or the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we want to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Amen? The only way to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, here we go, is to obey the command to continually walk in the Spirit. Again, someone walks in my office and says, I have this problem with this or that, and I just can't. Well, you know what? Let me say to you, the only way to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, which is the answer to your problems, is to obey the command to continually walk in the Spirit. Or I would ask them, are you walking continually in the Spirit? Probably because they're in the office looking for this. They're probably not. They're getting in the flesh. They're getting off track. They're not living in the fruit of the Spirit, i.e., there goes your problem. Um, life lived in the Spirit produces the virtues of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Life lived in the Spirit. Life lived in the Spirit, not in the flesh. We have, a, we have an ability as men and women of God to overcome the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and live continually in the Spirit. Yes, we do. The fruit of the Spirit here, again, is singular because virtue is not a list that you pick from. We don't say, well, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to show joy today, and I think next Tuesday I'm going to show gentleness. That's not the way this works. This is not a list. We see these uh, and we see sin in verses 19 through 21. That's a list that people seem to choose from. I think I'll do this one today and that one tomorrow. That's different. Uh, virtue, though, is produced collectively. These fruits of this fruit of the spirit is produced collectively. Uh, it's not that these fruit are, are laid out in some sequence that love, joy, and peace kind of follow each other. People have tried to outline that in, in these different ways. I don't find that very productive. It's not some line of things that you sort out your way through or choose from, but rather the way to see these nine virtues is like a bouquet of beautiful flowers. It doesn't come as isolated things that are side by side. It's the whole bouquet of flowers. The fruit of the Spirit is a beautiful bouquet of virtues. And they all operate together. They, are, uh, they work in sync with each other. That's why the Holy Spirit produces, um, that's what the Holy Spirit produces in someone who walks by the Spirit. And you will see them all on display. That's, that's the way our lives should look. We should be, people should see the fruit in us, right? They should see the fruit in us as we're living our lives in Christ. One commentator said, there is only one fruit of the Spirit, but it contains nine virtues. If one of the virtues is missing, then we do not have the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's product is like a watermelon with nine flavors. Many commentators have suggested that the nine virtues illustrate the full-orbed symmetrical character of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his life that the Spirit produces in the believer. Wow. Fruit falls into two categories. So we also hear the, fr the phrase about fruit, but it can be uh, like actions where we talk about righteous deeds or good deeds or worship or giving, uh, those kinds of things, leading someone to Christ. That's all fruit. 
But we don't have any of those behaviors here in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. All we have here is attitudes. So we're going to call this attitude fruit. Love and joy and peace and patience, etc. They are attitude fruit. It's These are attitudes in your life that we are supposed to all be living in every single day. See why it can be convicting? In other words, the acceptable action is the result of the acceptable attitude. The acceptable action is the result of the acceptable attitude. The action without the attitude is hypocrisy. In other words, you can act like you love, you can act like this or that, but if the attitude of it isn't there, you're just being a hypocrite. These are attitude fruit. This is your attitude. This is the way you live your life. This Your attitude is that of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, uh, self-control. That's who you are. That's your attitude. That's the way you live your life. The action without the attitude is legalism. Attitude fruit comes first, and through these attitudes come actions related to these attitudes. So our actions show us, show how we are living in our attitudes, right? So right attitudes will now equal to proper actions as we live out our life. So somebody says to you, how do you know or how do I know you're a Christian? Uh, and you can say back to them, if you want to know, we should be able to say this. If you want to know that I'm a Christian, stick around me for a while. And what you will see is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is the evidence that I'm not operating in the flesh because all that flesh produces is iniquity. But if someone asks you that, what about you? If someone stuck around you for a while, would they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Would they? If they're not, and you're a believer, you need to get with it. We all need to get down to it and begin to make this the attitude of our life, living out our life in these in this fruit. Man, you want to talk about affecting the world you live in? That's This is the open door of evangelism. Living your life as a true fruit walker will open up doors of opportunity for you to do one-on-one -on -one evangelism with people because they're going to see your life you're, you, you act different, you respond in love, you act in joy, you respond in kindness and goodness, all these things, and they look at you and go, wow, there's something different about you, I want that, what is it? There's your open door to tell them about Christ. That's how we put our salvation on display, by how we live our life out in this attitude fruit. See, it's challenging, right? It's, it's, it's exciting that we have this, but it's challenging when we see ourselves not living in it the way we should be. So at the heart of our assurance as a Christian is the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. You know, I'm not God. I don't know. Uh, I can't tell who everybody is who's saved and not saved. But if I look at someone's life and I don't see the fruit, I'm not talking about they may be nice. They may be, you know, they may be kind to me. But are they living in these other attitudes? Fruit? Do they really love? Do they have joy? Do they have all peace? I mean, all these things. It's an, that's, that is, that is um, the manifestation of our salvation uh, in our lives, this showing of this attitude fruit. The absence of it should tell us immediately that the Holy Spirit has never regenerated us. And that's a very uh, serious place to be when you look at your life. If you don't see yourself operating in this fruit in any way, 
then you need to really look at your life and see if you have tro- if you have truly been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been, I can't say this more profound than this. You don't want you do not want to die in your sins. You do not want to die separated from God forever because you've never truly trusted in Christ and then you've never been filled with the Spirit who is brought in who will bring in the fruit of the Spirit with him. So and and as we've been talking about in the last four sermons We've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit. There's a big difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So remember, the gifts are for the purpose of ministry in the church, while the fruit of the Spirit helps us to have assurance and to give power to our Christian witness. Because it's an assurance to us because we see ourselves living out the fruit, which then should speak to us and should really, you know, bring a peace to us. Wow, I'm, I'm living my life. I have the fruit in me. I'm really saved. But it gives power to your Christian witness because it, 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 it's, people can see it. They can see the fruit in you. They can see Jesus in your life because you walk in the fruit. Now, gifts, as regards to spiritual gifts, they may vary from one believer to another, while the fruit of the Spirit, it manifests itself in solidarity within every believer. So where one person will have the gift of teaching, another one have the gift of mercy, another one have the gift of evangelism, all these things, that's one thing. But in the fruit, uh, we all have been given the same fruit, and we're all supposed to be operating in the fruit of the Spirit all the time. Yes, all the time. We're supposed to be operating in the fruit of the Spirit all the time. It's, I'm telling you, it's convicting, right? Because you're thinking, man, I haven't been, or I was mad at that guy, or I get jealous of that person, or I, I'm not saying you never make a mistake, and I'm not saying the flesh doesn't ever rise up, but we have the ability to always have the victory over our flesh and to choose to walk instead of jealousy, to walk in love and be and be excited about those people and their opportunity. And maybe you didn't get it, but they have one. Yours will come along in some other fashion or form. But be excited and be happy for them. Don't be envious. That's a deed of the flesh, or jealousy is a deed of the flesh. Um, gifts as an act of service can be imitated, while the fruit of the spirit, fruit, the fruit of the spirit as character cannot be. Uh, it cannot be faked. It's either real or it's not. So we've I've talked about this many times. There's a difference between having a, tr- a profession of faith in Christ. Um, well, that can't produce holy fruit. That's just a profession. But we're talking about having a genuine possession of the life of Christ. That's what produces supernatural fruit. So if you're truly saved, that supernatural fruit is in you. And you're going to know you're saved because you see yourself living in the fruit. Again, you're not, you're not perfect. But we have the ability to walk in this every single day. To not give in to the deeds of the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit, thusly um, showing our life to be something different than the people that we are around. It says the fruit of the Spirit is. Notice that the verb is, again, in the Greek, is in the present tense. That indicates that this process of fruit-bearing is continuous. Whenever you see, whenever I talk about the present tense of the Greek, of a Greek verb, that means it's something that's being done continually. Same thing here, the fruit of the Spirit is. It's, it's, it, the process of this in your life is something that is continuous. It should be always going on in your life. 
Paul explained to the Philippians, he said, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It is a continuous getting up, operating every day in these things. Now listen, um, we're all different personalities. You know, my wife is more uh, alive in the morning. I'm alive. I pray every morning. I'm, I'm not as vocal in the morning. She's more vocal. I, I love that about her. Uh, but because we all have different personalities doesn't mean, you know, you need to look at your life. And it's, it's not about your personality. It's about your attitude. What attitude are you living in? Are you living these things out? See what's challenging. We even haven't gotten into the breakdown of the two I'm going to talk about today. Wait till we get to that. Um, commentators, some divide the fruit into three different categories. Personal fruit, which is love, joy, peace. They have to do with our own subjective personal life. Reach out, uh, outreaching fruit to others. That that uh, is long suffering, gentleness, goodness. That this is the attitude and grace towards others. And then we have upreaching fruit toward God. That's where faith, meekness, and temperance or, or self control comes in. So nine parts of one fruit, all supplied by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. It covers our complete responsibility towards God, our fellow man, and others. So now, here we go. We're going to get into these nine attitudes starting right now. Um, we're going to start with love. We're going to cover love and joy today. We're going to cover love and joy today. Again, I don't want to rush it. We've already had to have an introduction even talking about all this. And now here we go. We know what the spiritual fruit is. Here is the spiritual fruit of joy. Love as someone has written, love is the fountainhead and wellspring of all other virtues. Love here in the Greek is the Greek word agape, and many of you have heard that before. And look at your life and look at and, and ask yourself, do you live love out this way? Agape means unconditional, sacrificial love which ultimately reflects the very essence of God himself, as John explains writing in 1 John 4, 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God loved you so much that he sent his only son, unconditional love, sacrificial love. Jesus hung on the cross, an unconditional love, a sacrificial love. That's the kind of love that we are supposed to be showing from our lives. Ooh. And I think one of the greatest ways this shows up is when you look at husbands and wives. Um, being a husband myself, I have to ask myself, am I loving my wife? Am I showing the fruit of the Spirit by loving my wife unconditionally with a sacrificial love? Do I sacrifice things of my life to make sure that she's first? And it's vice versa, wives to husbands. Um, agape love is the unconditional sacrificial love that God not only is, but that God shows and that God commands of believers is seen in this following passage in 1 John 3, 16 and 17. It says, we know love by this, that he laid his life down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? We are supposed to have unconditional, sacrificial love towards the brethren, towards other people, the body of Christ, and we'll get into you know into the world in a, in a minute. But 
We are supposed to show love, unconditional. I don't love you, but I just love you. I love you sacrificially. I give up my life so that you may, your life can be better or that I put you first. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Here in Galatians, agape is the love he produces as fruit by his spirit. It comes in the heart of a surrendered saint. Here we go again, walking by the spirit. Agape love seeks the benefit of the one who is loved. Agape love seeks the benefit of the one who, the benefit of the one who is loved. It is a love, here we go, which means death to self and defeat for sin. Since the essence of sin is self-will and self-gratification. It is a love which means death to self. And thusly, there's going to be a a defeat for sin in your life because sin is self-will and self-gratification. You give up that for someone else's sake. Agape love is a love activated by personal choice of our will, not based on our feelings toward the object of our love and is a love manifested by specific actions, not just to fellow believers, but to all men everywhere. This is this love is activated by personal choice of your will. You choose. It's there. You choose to live and to walk and to react in love. One of the best practical definitions of agape love is in Paul's passage in 1 Corinthians 13. So when you compare the list of the fruit of the Spirit with this, you observe that a number of the ninefold aspects of the fruit of the Spirit compose part of the definition of agape love um, that I'm going to read you now. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love is patient. You've all heard this before. It's always at weddings. Love is patient. <laughs> love is kind. And is not jealous, love does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own. It is not provoked, doesn't get easily angered, in other words. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. You forgive. You don't hold it. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. That's why it says in verse 8, love never fails. Agape love that is in us is a love of choice, a love of serving others with humility. It's the highest kind of love, the noblest kind of devotion, a love of the will. In other words, it's intentional. It's a conscious choice. And not a love motivated, not a love motivated by the recipient's superficial appearance, by emotional attraction, or by sentimental relationship. You don't love based on the way, just the way somebody looks on the outside. Gape is not based on pleasant emotions or good feelings that might result from physical attraction or a familial bond. Agape chooses, let me read that one again. Agape love is not based on pleasant emotions or good feelings that might result from physical attraction or a familial bond. Can you get, can any of you grasp the depth of that right there? That's powerful. Um, Agape chooses as an act of self-sacrifice to serve the recipient. 
From all of the descriptions of agape love, it is clear that genuine agape love is a sure mark of salvation or that you have truly been saved. Agape love does not depend on the world's criteria for love, such as, again, here we go, attractiveness, emotions, or sentimentality. It doesn't, that's not what, it ha, that does not have anything to do with agape love. Agape love is not based on impulse. Impulsive love characterizes the spouse who announces to the other spouse that they're planning to divorce their mate. Why? Because the reason is I can't help it. I fell in love with another person. That's impulsive love. That's not agape love. If you had agape love and really loved that wife, you would not do that. Christians must understand that person was motivated by the flesh. That's why they made that decision to act like that. And Christians must understand that this type of impulsive love is completely contrary to God's decisive love, which is decisive because he is in control and has a purpose in mind. Agape takes a slap in the face and still gives, even as Jesus did on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. If you want a real example of how you're supposed to be loving, that's the way you're supposed to do it. They mocked him, spit on him, made fun of him. Father, forgive all of them. They just don't know what they're doing. Christian love is the ability to retain unconquerable goodwill to the unlovely and unlovable towards those who do not love us and even towards those whom we do not like. Woo! Christian love is the ability to retain unconquerable goodwill to the unlovely and the unlovable towards those who do not love us and even towards those whom we do not like. Agape love that is initiated by the lover because he wills to love, not because of the value or lovableness of the person loved. Agape is self-giving, and it is not interested in what it can gain, but in what it can give. It is not bent on satisfying the lover, but on helping the one loved whatever the cost. That's powerful right there. Agape is active and is not mere sentiment cherished in the heart, nor is it mere words, however eloquent. It does not involve feeling and may express itself in words, but is it is primarily an attitude towards another that moves the will to act in helping to meet the need of the one loved. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He acted in helping to meet the need of the ones loved. Thank God Jesus loved this way because we would not be free from our sin and have an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven if Jesus did not love this way. And this is the way we are supposed to love other people. The way you're supposed to love your wife or husband. It's the way you're supposed to love other people. Agape love. Unconditional, sacrificial love that's concerned about meeting the need of the other person, not about meeting what you need. It's powerful, right? That's what love is. And next we have joy. And this is a this is a big one because I see so many people on this journey I've taken in church over the last three decades. I see so many people in church that have no joy. Uh, that could either mean that they're in church, but they're really not saved, which there's probably a lot of that going on. But 
there's just a lot of people who go to church who aren't, you never see them walk in joy. They are like Debbie Downer. They're always down. They're always discouraged. They're always, again, this joy uh, is in us and we have a choice to pull us out and to live our lives in joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy, the Greek word kara, is a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. Joy for the Christian is marked by celebration and expectation of God's ultimate victory over the powers of sin and darkness. I bet you thought, never thought of it that way. Joy for us as men and women of God is marked by celebration and expectation of God's ultimate victory over the powers of sin and darkness. So in other words, you should not, we should not ever really not walk in joy or be in joy because we know we're a part of the winning team. We know that uh, we, we will ultimately have the, we will have the ultimate victory over all things. And we're part of that group. So if there's any reason to have joy, it's that. Amen. It's not that the gas prices went up. That shouldn't steal our joy. It doesn't matter who's the president. It shouldn't steal our joy. Doesn't matter what idiocy is going on in our nation. That shouldn't steal our joy. We know ultimately that we're going to have the victory over the powers of sin and darkness. That should be a foundational place of joy for us. Biblical joy has a spiritual basis, and Scripture explains it this way. Joy, uh, this joy is joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 4.17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This joy we're talking about is the joy of faith. Philippians 1.25 says, And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. This joy is the joy of the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Become imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word and much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This joy is joy in the Lord. Philippians 3.1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, or have joy in the Lord. To write the same things, uh, same things again is no trouble to me, and is a safeguard for you. This joy is the welcome which will be addressed to faithful servants in the end. And in Matthew 25, 21, says this, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave, or faithful servants. You were faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Hallelujah. In contrast to all that, in secular works, when you talk about the secular world, joy is defined as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, and or good fortune, or by the prospect, prospect of possessing what one desires. So, Somebody wants a new car, they get their car, they think that's joy. No, that's not what biblical joy is. That's just emotion evoked by something, a sense of well-being, or that you possess something that you desired. So let me say it again. Joy, according to the world, is defined as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. That's not the definition of biblical joy. The world's definition of joy is virtually synonymous with the definition of happiness. For both of these emotions... Are dependent on what happens. Happiness, emotions, what happens is going to bring you, uh, the world thinks that's going to bring you joy. That's not biblical joy. Joy must be true joy. True biblical, the fruit of the Spirit joy 
must be sharply distinguished from both happiness and from pleasure. Joy is godly optimism even in difficult circumstances. Joy, then, is that deep-down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. Again, another foundational aspect of your life that should bring you joy is that you know, because we talked about earlier, you know you're living in the fruit, so you know you've been regenerated. You see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, so you know you're a regenerated person. That should bring you joy, which is a deep down sense of well-being because you know everything's right between you and your Father. That is so important. So when you know, and I think sometimes people who don't know they're saved, they they, they, I've had people come, I don't know, I need to get saved again. Am I saved? When you know, you need to know who you are in Christ. And if you know that you're in Christ, that brings a joy in your life, that deep down sense of well-being. When I read these stories of these books of, um, I got a whole desk full of them here of people who persecuted saints in nations across the world who get imprisoned or captured and tortured because simply because they're Christians. There's so many stories of these people talking about how they had joy. Well, that joy is coming from that deep down sense of well-being that they know all is well between themselves and the Lord. And whatever happens, as long as that's okay, everything else is going to be okay. That's where joy needs to be in your life. Do you see that kind of joy? Do you know that you're in Christ, do you find a joy from that? You should. We all should. Amen. Joy is not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances, but joy even occurs when those circumstances are the most painful and severe, just like we talked about as Jesus taught his disciples, declaring this in John 16, 20 through 22, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more. For joy that that child has been born into the world. Verse 22, therefore you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one takes your joy away from you. Again, in all these books about all these people persecuted in these nations that are hostile towards Christianity, um, no one can, no one, none of those circumstances, and so many, basically every one of those I've read, every account, no one can take joy away from them because they know who they are in Christ. They know they're saved. Their life was completely radically converted. And now as they stand before their persecutors, whether they're imprisoned for years or their torture, whatever goes on, even to the point of death, even being martyred, burned at the stake or whatever. They, I've heard stories of people martyred who have gone to, who've been burned at the stake and while the flames are burning their body, they are singing praises unto God. The joy could not be taken away from them. And so that joy is deep-seated in us. It is something that is down inside of us that was given to us by the Holy Spirit. So we have every single reason to live in joy. Amen. Joy of the spirit. Emotional fluctuations cannot disturb this source 
of joy. I say it again, emotional fluctuations cannot disturb the source of joy. One person said joy is more intense than happiness and is not like it, dependent upon outward circumstances or happenings. The difference may be illustrated by a river that flows steadily and continuously onward as compared with the transient hillside torrents produced by cloudbursts. There is no joy to compare with that which flows from a deep, rich, sweet communion with Jesus Christ. The joy of the Lord, that river that flows steadily and continuously through us in the power of the Holy Spirit, that joy is there for you. That joy is there for me, for us to always operate in and to always have bubbling up out of us, no matter how difficult. I tell you something, the circumstances that these people have gone through, uh, tortured, I mean, literally tortured to death or to the point of death, beaten, imprisoned, they still keep their joy because they're able to tap into love because they forgive their persecutors. That's love. And they have the joy of the Lord, which remains their strength. And that's what helps get them through this because they're walking in strength that they get from walking in the joy of the Lord. So the Christian life is supposed to be a life of joy, not a life of discouragement, not a life of despondency, not a life of always being down. It's supposed to be a life of joy. It is founded on faith in Jesus Christ, whose life on earth began in Luke 2.10 as good news of great joy for all people. Joy, joy, and joy. Joy is God's gift to believers. Joy is part of God's own nature and spirit that he manifests in his children. Joy is the inevitable overflow of receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. God's joy is full and it is complete in every way. I'm asking you now, are you living in joy? Don't I don't care what news you watch on television. Uh, there's no reason and no way that should steal the joy of the Lord out of your heart because nothing human or nothing circumstantial can add to it or detract from it. But it is not fulfilled in a believer's life except through reliance on and obedience to the Lord. In other words, you walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Get out of your flesh. Get in the Spirit and begin living in the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, men have pursued joy in every avenue imaginable. Listen to these these um, notes here. Perhaps it would be easier to describe where joy cannot be found. Listen to this list. It's not found in unbelief. Voltaire was an infidel of the most pronounced type. He wrote this, I wish I had never been born. And at his death cried out desperately, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months life. Then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. O Christ, O Jesus Christ. This was this man that supposedly had so much wisdom, a philosopher. That's the way he ended his life. Uh, joy cannot be found in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure if anybody did. He wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. True joy cannot be found in position or fame. Lord Baconsville enjoyed more than his share of both. He wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. What a way to live. What a way to die. Real joy is not found in military glory. How about Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day? Having done so, he wept in his tent before he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. It's only found in faith in Jesus Christ. Men have pursued it. 
men have not been able to find it and they've looked for it in all different ways in um, all different types of money fame success military glory but you can't find it it's only found in christ and once you come to christ and once christ saves you he brings the holy spirit to allow live inside of you and the spirit brings inside of you joy your words will never be like the words of these men in your last days, you can live your last days out with great strength and great joy because you know that all is well between you and your heavenly Father. Amen. Think about it. In the last days of someone's life, to know that your relationship with God is right, that keeps you in a place of joy. Amen. Hallelujah. Where there is real joy. Where is real joy found again? The answer is simple. It's only found in Christ alone, who then fills you with his spirit who then brings the fruit of the Spirit in you. Let me read you this last illustration here. As a third century man was anticipating death, he penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, he said, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. The joy of the Lord. Are you living in the joy of the Lord? Are you walking out love and joy, the fruit of the Spirit that's in you? Is this being portrayed? Is this, being, is this on display in your life? Do other people see this on display in your life? life. Amen. It's powerful stuff, right? Next week, we'll talk about peace and we'll get into the other ones. Again, I don't want to rush through this. So I want you to chew on what you've heard today. I want you to think about what you've heard today. I want to ask you a couple questions before we go. Look at your own life and ask yourself, do I show forth from my life the fruit attitude of love and joy? Why, as it was explained to you today. Here's another question. Do I love my wife unconditionally or sacrificially and vice versa? unconditionally and sacrificially, vice or vice versa? Do I treat others with the love of the Lord or contempt and dislike or hatred? Another question, do I live my life each day with a countenance that tells others I have the joy of the Lord? Do people see the joy of the Lord? I don't mean you got to go walking around, ha, 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 all day long. I don't mean that. I mean, you just have something in your life because you know that everything's right with you and the Father, if nothing else. If nothing else is going right, you know that you got it right between you and the Father. That should bring you a foundation of joy in your life. Amen. Praise God. Here's another one. Do I live each day with a deep down sense of well-being that abides in my heart no matter what is happening around me or in my life? In other words, it doesn't matter what's going on around us in this nation. I live my life with a deep down sense of well-being because I know that everything is right with my Father. I know that. I have a joy that's there that can overcome difficult circumstances, no matter what's happening around me or in my life. And lastly, can people tell I'm really saved by the joy and love that I consistently live in? Does your life, and we're just talking about these first two, love and joy, does your life display this fruit in a way that people know you are truly regenerated, that you are truly born again, that you have truly had an experience, a salvation in Jesus Christ, because that's the way we're supposed to be living our lives. Every believer should live their lives this way. You, me, and all of us. Amen. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I just thank you for this time together. Holy Spirit, thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. 
Thank you for the fruit of love. Thank you for the fruit of joy that we walk in today, that you've given us, that, that should abound in us, that should be, to, being, should be displayed out of our lives on a daily basis. And we've learned today that it's a choice, that I, it's not just going to happen. I got to choose it. I got to choose to grab a hold of joy. I got to choose to grab a hold of that agape love. I gotta choose to live my life. I pray all of us would make a decision when we wake up in the morning of each day, we would choose to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. And as we continue through this list, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would encourage us, but you would also challenge us and convict us where we're not displaying fruit properly in our lives as men and women of God. We thank you for that day. Sometimes we need to see where we aren't so that we can see where we need to be. We thank you for this today. We give you, Lord God, the glory and honor. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for all that you're doing through our lives. And we thank you that we have peace in the midst of everything that's going on. And we give you the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, next week we'll talk about peace and then we'll get into patience, woo, self-control and all those. It's continuing to be more convicting because you look at your life and go, man, I need to be working on that one. I need to choose that one. Bring that one up out of the out of the uh, dusty doldrum somewhere hiding in there. Bring it out of there and begin to operate in that. May our lives display the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. So from now on, from this point on, live your life all out for Christ. Amen. God bless you.